Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Well, we're going to begin a series on our mission and our values. Over the next four weeks, we'll be talking about why we do what we do and the goals that we've got to accomplish um, our, our mission. And our mission is threefold. One, to encounter Christ. Two, to, ex- to experience community. And then three, to extend the kingdom. We want to encounter, we want to have a, a, a genuine experience with God that transforms our life and not have it just be one, but multiple, ongoing. To have him walk with us, going beyond just the change of philosophy or an adoption of a theology or a good idea. We want him. We want to experience his person and have an encounter with him that changes our lives. Two, we want to experience then what it means to be with the people that have also had that encounter. So after we have our moment with God, Jesus wants to introduce us to the rest of his family. So we need to experience community, and that's what church is about. And then thirdly, once we are integrated in the life of the people that are called his, then we figure out how in the world can I extend my reach to to reach people who have not yet experienced what I have experienced. We've got to go out and find others and let them have the privilege of encountering Christ like we did. So today, turn with me over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19. The title of the sermon is Encountering Christ Coming Down. Encountering Christ Coming Down. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It's a story of Zacchaeus and of Jesus. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. He hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, um, half of my possessions I, I, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone, anything, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he too is the son of Abraham. Verse 10. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Lord help us in our study. There are four things about which I'd like to speak to you. And I need to ask your forgiveness from the start. Um, You you do sermons for a long time. um, And I've done a bunch. And after so many years, you, you try something new. And, and uh, you, as you, if you've been around here long enough, you know that most of my sermons are alliterative in their orientation. Three Ds, three As, three Ts, three Ss, three Cs, four Ds every once in a while. I change it up like that, you know. <laughs> Get really creative, four Ds. 
And today I've decided I'm not doing anything alliterative. Instead, I'm going to rhyme. Not rap. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Rhyme. And I'm not a poet, so this is bad. This is bad. But I needed to freshen something up. So, so Jesus was passing through. Zacchaeus climbed to view. Jesus stopped at the place, and Zacchaeus did an about face. Now, now I know you're clapping out of sympathy because that's real bad. That's real bad. That's real bad. I know that, but I'm trying. I just get bored with the alliteration. I got to do something a little bit different. So endure. Endure with me today. Just humor me. The backdrop is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is bordering the last week of his life on earth. He's going to be crucified. So somewhere in the neighborhood of 8 to to 10, 12 days, he enters into Jericho. And and he's he's not intending to stay. I mean, he's passing through. This is not a prescribed ministry opportunity. He's not going there to do anything. He just happens to be on the way to Jerusalem. And um but 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 Jesus his his passing through it should be enough. For anybody who's wanting to get a view, our American Western Christianity almost gets mad at God if he, if he doesn't meet our personal need. I haven't seen God touch my family. He hasn't healed my marriage. My body's still racked with sickness. I still have bills I can't pay. I'm about to be foreclosed on. My, my life just seems to be, where is God? You say he's real, where is he? And we judge him on the basis of whether he is signed on to our agenda. Thereby making him, unfortunately, our servant and we not his. Making him prove himself one more time. Like he hasn't done enough. He sent his son. If Jesus had not healed one person, if he had not opened one blind eye, if all the ears were still deaf, that were deaf when he appeared, if all he did was go to the cross, it was enough. It was enough. And I beg you, don't make him prove himself for you to serve him. He's already done it. It shows the shallowness of your own understanding when you say, come on, do for me now. Do for me now for me to serve you. Who are you again? Who are you again to test God like that? I beg you. And and, and I'm, I'm not trying to correct you. I'm trying to open your eyes to give you a different perspective. He has done so much already. By having that attitude, you ignore the fact that he died on the cross. By having that attitude, you ignore the fact that he gave up all of the privileges of being God. Sitting in celestial bliss to come down and dwell in a slum. To live with people who were ungrateful that he created and provided for. To have them ridicule him and question his motives all the time. And then be so ungrateful for his presence. Though he had done nothing, nothing other than good. To kill him. 
And yet he does not give judgment to any of them. He doesn't pass the consequences of their misdeeds onto them. In fact, he takes all of those on himself. What more does he need to do for you? He's forgiven you of all your sin. He's given you an opportunity to live forever with him and not to suffer the consequences of your misdeeds, not to be encased in hell for eternity. That is good. Therefore, if he never does a thing for you personally, if he is not your personal valet today, if when you ring the bell, he doesn't show up, that's all right. Because he's shown up amazingly for you. He was just passing through Jericho. Just passing through. Wasn't intending to stop. And Jesus passed through the earth. And if he hadn't stopped for you, that's all right. Having said that, he thinks you're amazing. There's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without his notice. How much more does he care for you? In particular, he thinks about how how he can provide for you. My distinction today is not so much talking about his dispensation toward you. It's talking about yours toward him. He's constantly thinking about you. And all he wants to do is help you. He wants to deliver you from this this sinful environment. And mostly he wants to deliver you from you. Because your circumstances aren't the issue. As much as you think they are. You're the issue. You got too many thoughts that that don't think like God. You have too many words that don't sound like God. You have too many deeds you do that don't act like God. Your philosophy is all messed up. Your theology is all messed up. You don't know your Bible well enough because you don't read it every day. By the way, read your Bible every day. You, you 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 don't know enough yet. And you're going on all of your past experiences thinking that somehow they're going to commend you for your future experiences. They don't. And you've got to be retrained. Your brain needs to be washed. Your soul needs to be cleansed so it can respond well. You get born again. When you get born again, your spirit gets changed. That's your heart. Your heart and your spirit, if you look in the Old and New Testament, they are interchangeable in that expression and explanation of what happens. God births a brand new spirit on the inside of you. Christianity is not about reform. It's about transform. You become brand new. It's not just about making a better old you. It's about making a brand new you. That's what he does. He gives you a new heart. But your soul has to catch up, and that's what sanctification is. Your soul is still used to doing things the way it used to do. Thinking the way it used to do. Your soul is your will, your mind, and your emotions. And so you respond knee-jerk the way you've always responded. But your spirit is there, and if you keep feeding your, your, your soul the things necessary, it, it, it begins to get in conjunction and in line with what your spirit knows to be true. And as a result, you get more like Jesus all the way down the line if you will discipline yourself to do right all the way down the line. But if you stay in the place of just being born again and don't allow your soul the privilege of acceleration to catch up with what your spirit has become, you will stay in the same spot, sucking on a bottle all the days of your life. You'll stay a baby rather than mature. God wants you to grow up. He cares about you, and so he's attending to your needs daily. But he is not co-signing your agenda. And that's where you get mad and disappointed. How come you didn't sign on with my plan? Because it's no good. It's a terrible plan. It's a ter- I know you think it's great, but it's a terrible plan. 
you just don't know enough. And because you're, you get mad at him for not signing on your plan, you distance yourself from him. And you get, when he passes through, he passes by. Zacchaeus thought this, oh, he's passing through. I don't want to miss this. I don't want to miss this. I'm going to do something to, to make sure I can view him properly. Now, Zacchaeus had, unfortunately, the same problem I got. He was short. I'm five, eight, five, five, eight and three quarters. And I love my three quarters. I do, I do. I'm unashamed about it. I love my three quarters. But something happened between age 50 and 55. I'm 55 now. Something happened. And it's not pleasant. I, 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 gravity just had too much of an effect on me. And my spine compressed. And, I, you know, my, all my children, except my daughter, Brooke, who's tall, but she's not as tall as me. All my children are taller than me. And she's 5'8", Brooke. And I knew... I was taller than her because I'm five, eight and three quarters. <laughs> but at some point, we were looking eye to eye. And I thought, what, 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 what happened? What happened about three quarters? <laughs> I shrunk, I shrunk. And it's not like you're six, five and you can afford to lose it. I was little already. I shrunk. I was, sh I shrunk. I needed my three quarters. So my wife bought me on one Father's Day. An inversion table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically a stretching machine. <laughs> and you lie upside down with your feet kind of postured in between two pads. And I did that for two months and I gained my three quarters back. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. And it was worth every moment of pain on that table. Every moment of pain. But Zacchaeus and I got a lot in common. I know what it's like to be short. He was so short, he couldn't see. And Jesus was the most popular figure of, of the day. And so when he came through Jericho and everybody, this was the bandwagon moment. Everybody thought he's coming to Jerusalem for the final time to set up his kingdom. He's going to kick out Herod. He's going to deal with Pilate, who happened to be the puppet ruler for, the Jeru for Judea, for, for Rome. And he's going to deal with, with ultimately Caesar over there in Rome. And he's going to set up this kingdom, the kingdom of his father, David, the, the guy who lived almost a thousand years earlier. And it's going to be great for us. And everybody was wanting to make sure that they were a part of the election campaign because they might get a job. And everybody, go, Jesus, go, Jesus, do it. We believe in you. So the crowds were building as he came into Jericho. Folks have been, have been following him all the way from Galilee, thinking this is a moment. Hundreds became thousands. And, and oh, it was big. And as they were going down Main Street, if you will, in Jericho, Zacchaeus said, I will never get a chance to see this guy. I'm the, the crowds on the side of the road are just, I'm little. They're just, uh, uh, oh, and he sees this tree and he climbs up. Coming to church at 11 a.m. requires some climbing on your part. You got to do some planning. Boy, it's going to be packed. Where am I going to park? I got to deal with those parking lot attendants again. They are wonderful people, by the way. Yeah. 
they've got to do some climbing on their own. They got to pray at least probably an hour before they come to church because they got to deal with you. They're pointing this way and they see you going like this. Shame on you, you Christian coming to church. Shame on you. You got to do some planning. You got to do some climbing. You got to make some effort to come. Why? Because you want to see Jesus like you hadn't seen him yesterday. You want something to happen in your life and experience a moment that allows you to be primed for next week. You, can't, you couldn't see Jesus from home like you're seeing him right now. So you make the effort to get to a place where, where the vantage point is different. You change your elevation. It requires effort. See, Jesus passed. He would have, he's coming here every Sunday. But if you don't make the effort to climb to get here, he'll pass right on by. Pass right on by. Zacchaeus said, I want to see him like I've never seen him before. Now, this wasn't Jesus' first visit to Jericho. He's been there many times. But Zacchaeus, something had been stirred, obviously, from other points, and he wanted to, to get the best view possible. And so he climbs to view. And in doing so, Jesus then comes to the place where Zacchaeus was. And I imagine Zacchaeus did everything he possibly could to prep the moment so he was well in advance. It says he ran on ahead and he climbed into a tree because he didn't want to miss it. He wanted to get as much view as possible, frontal, see his facial features, maybe get an opportunity to hear something he was saying to somebody else in the crowd, just get a nugget from him. He wasn't trying to interact with him. He just wanted to view. And as he's sitting there, Jesus comes to the place where he sees this guy in a tree. And he says, Zacchaeus. Now, I want to stop there because Jesus said a sentence. But he said, he said Zacchaeus. Jesus knew his name. He knows your name. But you want to put yourself in a position where he can call it out. You want to put yourself in a position where you can hear him calling it out. I, Zacchaeus was blown away. Zacchaeus was the most hated man in his city. He was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector, meaning all the other tax collectors reported to him. And tax collecting was a sordid business. The Roman Empire demanded it from the Jewish people. And the Jewish people felt like we're, we're not supposed to pay taxes to anybody. Deuteronomy 28 said, I'll make you the head, not the tail. You will be the lender, not the borrower. You'll bless other nations. You won't be taxed. Nobody will be your head. That's what it was supposed to be as a blessing from God. If the people of Israel were to understand God's perfect will in terms of how he postured himself and what he thought about them as they related to the rest of the world. They were to be in front, not behind. So they weren't supposed to pay tribute or tax to any other nation. So they didn't like Rome for a lot of different reasons, and that was maybe principle. But when you now, it was hard enough for them to just to pay taxes to Rome, but when you now have a Jewish person who is collecting those taxes and then giving them to somebody else and then putting the screws on you to make sure that you pay on time, that person was most hated. In the hierarchy of sin, or the declension, however you look at it, it went sinner, prostitute, tax collector. They were the most hated. And he was the most hated in his city. Guarantee it. 
And we see that from the fact that the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the they. Don't know who they are, but they always got something to say and generally they are wrong. They said, this man fellowships with tax gatherers, tax collectors, and sinners. We can't trust him. That's how they thought of Jesus with respect to who he was saying he was going to go and fellowship with. He was the worst. Everybody knew this guy. So when Zacchaeus hears his name, he's thinking, Any of y'all seen the movie Jingle All the Way? <laughs> it's required viewing in our family. Um, two actors in it, Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and Sinbad. And Sinbad is my brother-in-law. That's why it's required viewing. <laughs> so everybody in my family has seen it at least four times. At least. It's the greatest Christmas movie ever. In it, they're both trying to get this turbo doll. It's called Turbo Man. It's an action figure. And they got to get it for their children, their child, their boy. And Sinbad's trying to get it for his, and Arnold's trying to get it for his. And they're fighting over it. And there's only one Turbo Man doll in the entire city. And it turns out that gets messed up. And so Sinbad is searching, and they're fighting, finding the same spot and running after each other. And at the very end, Arnold Schwarzenegger finds himself in, a, in an interesting spot in the back scenes of a place where a parade, Christmas Day parade is going on and he's missed the entire Christmas with his son and his son is mad at him and his mama's, his, mama's, his wife, and you get me, is mad at him. <laughs> and everybody's mad at Arnold because he has despoiled the Christmas holiday. And he winds up in the back scenes of this parade and he, he's the, the, he happens to be the guy they think is supposed to be the Turbo Man man. So he is dressed in all this stuff and he winds up, I'm going someplace with this, and he winds up <laughs> being Turbo Man and he doesn't even know it. And he steps out of this float. And when he steps out on the float, he is Turbo Man and everybody's looking at him saying, Turbo Man, yay! And his son, Billy, is right here. And he sees him in the crowd on the side. And, and, and as Turbo Man, he also has a Turbo Man doll. And he's thinking, I finally got the doll. I can give it to my boy. And he sees Billy on the side of the road. And, and Turbo Man, Billy doesn't know Turbo Man is his dad. He just sees Turbo Man. And, 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 and Turbo Man says to Billy, Billy! And Billy says, he knows my name. <laughs> Yeah, that was another bad one. I'm trying, I'm trying to work, rework my service in a new way to make it fresh. Zacchaeus, he knows my name. Wow. The most popular man in the history of earth knows my name. The Messiah knows my name. Are you ever amazed and grateful that he knows you. That the God of the universe thinks intimately about you. And then he says, Zacchaeus, come down. 
hurry and come down. I'm going to stay at your house today. So Jesus comes to the place. And when he comes to the place, he says some things to him. Now, the beauty of being in the right spot to view God the way you need to, and the only way you might be able to see him is if you get in that spot, because where you were before is not going to give you the view you need. It's, the beauty of this is when you get in that spot, then you can hear, hear God not only call your name, but begin to direct you as to what you can do next to best obey him. And whenever you get in the spot where you can see him best and you hear him in some way, some fashion, some form, he's going to say this, come down. Humble yourself. Realize you are not who you think you are and you need to recognize who I am. I am God of the universe. Serve me. Humble yourself. Come down. And do it in a hurry. Hurry and come down. Some of y'all are not coming down. And when you do, you take your sweet time. It's taking you forever to understand who you're not. It's taking you much too long. Pride is just eating you up. It's destroying the opportunities you could have for progress because you think you can handle it. You can do it on your own. Hurry and come down. You want to go to the next level? Down. Push B on the elevator. Everybody, what's B? Thank you. Push B on the elevator. B on. The, you don't need to go up. Everybody wants to go to the next level. But for we Christians, the next level is down. Everything about Christianity is counterintuitive. If you want life, what do you got to do? If you want to receive, what do you got to do? If you want to go up, where do you got to go? going to be a theme for the entire year, maybe the rest of my life. The next level is down. The next level is down. To find yourself in a place of humility, realizing what you're not, so that God can make you what you need to be. It doesn't mean that you don't strive for success in your business. It doesn't mean that you don't put forth the effort to try to be excellent at all you do. It just means that now you are continually eroding the false idea of who you, you were to become what God has created you to be. You listening? The next level is down. And what are you waiting on? Hurry up. Hurry up. You're just delaying your progress. Hurry and come down, for I'm going to stay at your house today. You're going to say, you're going to say, when I go on vacation, I try to go to someplace nicer nicer to where I'm living right now. If I don't, it's called a mission trip. <laughs> it's not vacation. It's a mission trip. Jesus, I don't know why he leaves glory, except he's on a mission. You are not nicer. Your crib is a mess. Your home is a wreck. Think hoarders. Hoarders. You got a lot of junk up in your house that you think is valuable that's not, and you're holding on to it. He wants you to get rid of it. You're stacking it up, putting it in places it ought not be. And God says, clean this thing out so I can begin to fill it with my stuff. I'm going to stay at your house today. God wants to stay 
at. He doesn't want to just visit. He wants to stay at your house. If that's the case, make it as comfortable as possible. When my wife understands that company's coming, the first thing she says is, all right, everybody clean up. You got the family room, you got the kitchen, you got the bathroom. She wants to make sure that company is comfortable in our house. Now, there's no way for you to interpret that our house is anything but lived in. We're not trying to be immaculate. We can't. There are too many people. And it's too much work. But we do want to make it presentable. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? Jesus wants to stay at your house today. How are you doing with that? Is your house a wreck? Zacchaeus is blown away. He wants to stay in my house. Wow. And as soon as Jesus says that, the religious people chime in. Okay, do, we're here. We are. He needs to. He, he should have asked us. To, he, I can't believe that he would make his final trip before his ascension to a sinner's house. To the most wicked man or despised guy in the city? Are you kidding me? What's wrong with this guy? See, we got more evidence now. He's not the real deal. He is not the real deal. He's messed up. Ugh. <laughs> that, that opinion would, would last about 15 seconds. Because Zacchaeus chimed in in a hurry. He knew what was going on. He saw the dynamics changing. And he realized that this man was, was coming to stay at the most despised man's house in the city. And he felt so privileged. So privileged. Gratefulness ought to fill your, fill your life every day that he just wants to stay at your house. Every day you ought to be grateful. You don't have to do anything more. I, I just want you to know I'm grateful that you wanted to live with me. I'm grateful. Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. Now, he says he was rich. I'm convinced that he was probably the richest man in the city. Primarily because he was the chief tax collector. Now, even if I'm wrong, I'm close. I'm close. Because I don't think he was trying to become poor. Meaning that when he said, I'll give half my possessions to the poor, after he gave half, he was still rich. He had it like that. On top of that, he said, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay it back fourfold. Now, if somebody says, if I have defrauded, <laughs> you know they have defrauded a lot of folk. Just about everybody. It's one of those, somebody done something wrong and said, if I have offended you, everybody, bruh. You offended everybody. <laughs> if, are you kidding me? What is the if thing? Just say you're sorry. <laughs> if I have defrauded anybody, I'll pay fourfold. Now, the beauty of this is that depending upon what somebody did in the Old Testament, there was, there was a requirement upon a thief. If a thief stole something that he either had to pay double, in Proverbs it says that he had to pay sevenfold, and then in other places it said he had to pay fourfold. It depended on the impact of the theft to the person who owned it. And what happened to the, the stuff that was stolen 
when it was in the possession of the thief. And so there were a number of different requirements that were placed upon the thief depending upon the circumstances of the theft. The minimum was two. Two times. And he shows his heart. He says, I'm going to pay back four. Four. Now, as I said, the, the religious leaders were mad for about 15 seconds until a representative from Zacchaeus showed up at their house with 20 large. <laughs> Jesus, I got some more sinners I want you to hang out with. He crea- Christ created an economic revival in Jericho. Everybody who paid taxes got some back. What a refund day. What a tax refund day. Not just a refund, four times. Four times. So if your bill was five grand, and it was really one grand, because he defrauded you four, it was a happy day for you. Jesus, just if you will, by accident, blesses folk. The ancillary ministry of his life makes everybody else happy. If, even if you weren't the target, you get blessed by other people being blessed. That's the beauty of hanging out in the kingdom. When I get blessed with information, when I get blessed with revelation, when I get blessed with vision, you get blessed. You get a chair. You get a chair. You get a building. My worship team is blessed, and they don't have to play all the songs four times. Your children are blessed by your obedience. People who come into your home now experience something they didn't. It's not just a new way of thinking. It's a new way of living. And Zacchaeus says, I'm going to do this. And Jesus says to him, salvation has come to this house. The beauty of our God is he realizes our frailty. When we encounter him, he's not expecting perfection. That, that is no excuse for us not to increase in our competency. In understanding how to pray correctly, understanding how to relate to him, developing his heart, all those things need to, to be things that we concentrate on. But he's not going to judge you if you ain't got it. Because he knows we're stupid. We, we can't figure him out. We are so different in thought from him. We don't know the right thing to say. We don't know how to pray the right way. And so Jesus looks at the man's repentance. He evidence, his, evidences his change by his restitution. And says, salvation has come to this house. That's the great thing about God. He hears what you don't say. He hears what you mean. This is the beauty of our God. When you encounter him. He's there to come the, the, all the other... All you got to do is put yourself in a position to see him. Get in the right spot. You hear he's passing through. Make sure you are there to not miss it. And then he comes the rest of the way. He sees. He calls out your name. He says, I'm coming to your house. And then he says, salvation is too. That's what encountering Christ means. He is a good God who cares for you and wants to change your life for the better. Surrender now and let him do it. Let's pray. God, I'm asking for your grace. Empower us. Strengthen us. 
so that we can best serve you.